Welcome to our midweek Bible class. Once again, we're re recording these. We're going to make them a little bit shorter because we have to record a bunch of them. Uh, all of our May midweek Bible studies that were posted ready to roll ended up with no sound. I'm going to assume that's operator error, that somewhere I hit a mute button or it's all on me. But it just does illustrate that we are very thin on the ground here. And so those of you that do contribute to uh, our safe harbor, thank you. Uh, that allows us to do what we do, uh, but we would love to double up and do a lot more. So if you're not contributing and you can, that would be lovely. It would be very, very helpful. OurSafeHarbor.com, uh, the website has how to do all of that. Let's get back to the work. Peter is just about to um, uh, speak. He has been charged. They've been in prison for the night, in jail for the night. And now the family that runs the temple, uh, just like families run churches, this family uh, headed by the high priest Annas, but also by his father-in-law, the ex-high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all of the, his, his priestly family <clears throat> is now going to bring Peter and John uh, in to discuss the charges against them. Excuse me, I'm going to bump you a little bit as I shut this and bring my Bible over, okay? Didn't get too dizzy there, did you? You did fine. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, they have just arrayed them and said, all right, um, by whose authority, by whose power, by whose name do you have the right to teach? Okay, or, or to do this. <clears throat> Some version, most versions, I think, actually say to do this. Uh, and it is, um, of course, the healing and the teaching that's involved there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I have no idea if he was being a little snarky or if he's being respectful. With Peter, it's kind of hard to know. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed here today. He, he is, this Christ, is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. By the way, that's a quotation uh, out of Psalm 118, verse 22. Salvation is found in no one else. There, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, I, I, this is artful. Uh, not everything Peter ever said or did was artful. This is artful. Saying, oh, oh, you want to know how, oh, okay, um, well, if, if it's a problem that we did an act of kindness to a cripple, I'm aware we don't use the word cripple today, Peter was not aware that we would not be using it, so we're using it. Uh, if it was wrong to be nice to somebody, well then, oh, ever so sorry, but um, we did this through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you had him killed, but God did not appreciate that and brought him back. So the one, the very stone that you rejected, because the prophecy in Psalm 118 was all about you, um, God knew it was coming, and he wasn't going to let you in. 
He brought Christ back. And I gotta tell you something. The very one you rejected is the very one you're gonna have to kneel before because there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. You're not gonna be saved by your lineage. You're not gonna be saved because you run a church. You're not gonna be saved because you, you know, you're of the family and you're a high priest now and you're, you got all the la-di-da's and the nice fancy robes. That's not gonna do anything. You're gonna to have to submit yourself to the very one you rejected and at least acquiesced in his killing. Pulled it off. <clears throat> when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Please look at last week. Again, a very short class because we're having to re-record these um, about the unlearned and ignorant. But there is one further thing which I've brought up before, but I'll need to bring up again. And that is where they were from was considered to have a very hick, backwoods, country, hill accent. And that's th those are all just um, metaphors that I can use here that you can understand. It's, they didn't sound like cultured people and they certainly didn't go to the right rabbinical schools. You know, who are they to speak to us? We're the elites. Isn't it fun that that still has not changed? Not just in religion, but in Hollywood and politics, no matter where you are, no, 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 or in many towns. You're not the right family. Why would you have the right to talk to us? And that it's just, we're, we're, as human beings, we're not slow learners, we're non-learners as a rule. So they're saying, well, these guys don't have any education, but they're coming on pretty strong here. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. All right, well, that, maybe that explains some things. But since they could see the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. You know, that's marvelously understated. You know, if, you, if I looked at you and said, you know, you're nobody special. You went, really? And you pulled a giant blue whale out of your pocket and laid it, you know, busting both ends of the hall out and, and looked over and the, I'd have to go, okay, that was, that was unusual. And now I got to deal with the fact that you could do that. And so these people are all, we're the leaders, we're your elites, we know better than you. And then they can't heal the cripple. They walked by him every day for decades. They probably tossed him some coins. That was, a, that was part of the Jewish tradition and religion. And I have no doubt that they tossed coins to, to beggars and the poor. So they, you know, they did that, yay, um, always good, but they couldn't fix his legs and back or whatever was wrong with them. And these guys did instantly. They didn't even have to do physical therapy or go to rehab, I, there he is. That's, you see, here's the thing, facts have to be dealt with. It's rather like C.S. Lewis said about the 10 commandments. He said, you can't break the commandments. When I first read that, I was going, what? Of course you can't. But then he went further and I understood. He said, when you try to break the commandments, the commandments will break you. Ah, I get that. Every so often I'll even hear somebody on, on the telly or you know, 
being interviewed or wherever they will say you know my feelings this and I feel this and I feel that and I'm afraid of this and I feel and somebody will bring up a fact and the, the, the standard line is facts don't care about your feelings so I'm hearing more and more people say my feelings don't care about your facts sorry um, facts are immutable and they're going to bump you and break you and here's a fact Peter and John healed somebody they didn't heal. They did it in a way that has to be a miracle. They're now in the temple courts and people are listening to them and the rulers have a problem because now people are seeing power and authority coming from a different direction than them. And that worries them very deeply. So what did they do? They, well, they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. That was the, the court that they'd set up. And then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. So we should hop on board and, and tap into the source of this power and learn what God wants us to know. Hang on, that wasn't it. The reaction was, everybody knows they've done this outstanding miracle. We cannot deny it. So the reaction is, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer in this name. Okay, they did good. They did something we couldn't do. It was obviously a great power. We have to stop it. Why? Because it threatens their power. This is true of human beings. It's true of the husband who commits violence of word, attitude, or action against his wife, of the wife that commits uh, words of violence or, or uh, attitude or action, any of those against the husband. It is a way to get power, whether through direct action, passive aggression. It moves also to the HOA and how it polices. And once people get the power, they love having the power. And then it goes on to uh, petty politics and then national politics. And then all of a sudden, because I want what you've got, I'm going to roll my tanks into your territory. And it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. You may be doing good. You may be doing wonderful, fantastic stuff, but I need to keep my power. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my power. What a tragedy. So they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen or heard. I really like that response. You went, okay, cool. We hear what the court says, but we know what God says. Yeah, this is, um, what an amazing response. And it was accurate. They said, we can't, we can't not talk about this. It's rather like, all right, guy that's been healed, who's a cripple for decades, want you to go home. We just don't want you to talk about any of this. How do you not talk about it? You have legs and they work. You are now mobile. You are perambulating. What, uh, that's going to be noticed. 
people pick up on these subtle things. They're going to, and they're going to start talking. And these guys are going, no, 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 don't talk. Well, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Now notice, it wasn't, they could not decide whether to punish them. They wanted to punish them. But they couldn't figure out a way to do it because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Notice they weren't praising Peter and John, and that's exactly right. You know, I really love it when somebody says, well, we love the service, we love the songs, we loved what Patrick said here, there, or the other. That's brilliant, really, it is super encouraging. Somebody sends an email or a text or shows up at the soundstage and gives us a hug. That, we can live off of that for a few days. That's amazing. But what we do is not for the hug and the emails. Those are, that's just extra. I would even say it's icing on the cake, but to me, icing's the point of cake. So, no, it, it's something different. It sprinkles on top of the icing. How's that? It's a bit of extra. What it's all about is bringing praise to God and getting the Jesus story out there. Share these things. Get the Jesus story out there. That's, what, that's our job. Love people and talk about Jesus and act as much as we can like Jesus. So I love this, that all the people are praising God for what happened. Instead of making big posters of Peter and John and carrying them around their shoulders, they're pointing to God exactly, exactly. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So what happens now? Oh, a lot actually. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign God. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our, your servant, our father David. And then here comes a quote from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. This, this is still the prayer. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. I want to stop here for a second. A couple things. Uh, nothing in here is super surprising to us. We would praise God in our prayer. We would thank him for deliverance. We would even speak about how people conspire against God, but in vain. We, we, we would, yeah. Then there's this line, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, people like John Calvin and reformed tradition Christians grab this and feed it into their predestination. You know, what God knows, when he knows it, and what he does with it is an immensely complicated question. And one of these days, I'd like to go over um, a series that I've done, the last three churches I've been, which is taken off of Gregory Boyd's great book, God at War, because there are nuances. Does God declare, does God know everything which is going to happen? According to scripture, not so much. Does he know what is going to happen when he wants to? Yes. When he makes plans to? Yes. It's not an either or question. There's, there are a lot of issues there. So stay tuned. 
that it's going to be a while and it may be uh, in a sermon series rather than in the midweek bible since we're going through the new testament in the order in which the books are written so just be ready but here's the thing after talking about all this and naming some of the players they, they say hey father um consider their threats remember what they said against us is it okay to ask that your enemies fall at times yes uh, just over one-third of the psalms are imprecatory psalms that means they are psalms of complaint or calling for justice or action against a person or a group of people uh, that are harming God by harming God's people. Now, because these things are recorded early, and this one's having to be re-recorded because we had issues, so the entire month is having to be re-recorded re for Wednesdays, and oh well. Uh, once again, we, did, we don't have somebody to follow the minister around to make sure he does it right. That's our problem. So I don't know what's going to be happening next week when you see this. But right now, Putin has decided that he might need to formally declare war against Ukraine. I don't know what he thinks he's been doing for the last couple of months. And I don't know what, he, what this will mean. But is it okay to pray that Putin die or his plans fail or his people overthrow him? I think it is. I think it's fine. And by the way, when a, a leader in America or a leader in Breton or any of these other nations that are listening to you, to me right now, if one of our leaders starts harming others and hurting the people of God and people of faith and babies and all this other, it's perfectly fine for us to pray and for all the other nations to pray against that person. I don't ask that God strike him down with painful worms like Happened in the Old Testament to one, and happened in the New Testament to one. No, I'm not asking that they fall from the window and eaten by dogs, but I do ask that they fall, that their plans fail, that they are blocked, that they are taken down. Because that's the songbook we're given. You know, the Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs and such, that was pretty much the Bible that Jesus read. And by the way, um, Philip Clancy has an um, amazing uh, Philip Clancy, Philip Yancey has a great book about that, The Bible Jesus Read. And it was full of these. And we go through and here, Peter's just saying, Lord, while we're doing this work, I want you to consider what their threats are. And that's just a Jewish way of saying, please notice. Um, do what you will, but notice. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's go on a bit. We have, we have a little bit of time today. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, when I was raised in a, my religious tribe, this was used to say that we had to have absolute agreement on all matters of faith and practice. And, and it was really practice, uh, rather pushed. We all have to be of one mind, one heart and mind. Well, what if I believe that me sitting on, 
a hill somewhere playing a trumpet is praise to God, but my church says we don't do trumpets in churches. We don't do any instruments. They would say, no, it's wrong because we say, and we all have to be one in heart and mind. And it might be something even more important than that. It could be baptism, or it could be, you know, um, are women allowed to be out of the kitchen? Yes. Are women allowed to be in ministry? Yes. Go look at the Monday morning messages on that. Uh, and in fact, I mean, I even kind of shake a little bit when I use the word allowed. But again, go, go listen to those. And if we had any division of opinion, then you were unfaithful. But that's not what it's talking about here. These people were one mind and one heart. In what way? Oh, look, it helpfully tells us. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They were one with sharing, one with giving. Um, many of you give to us, which is just hugely important and becoming more and more important as the days go by because uh, some people are getting hurt financially to the point where they're pulling back and yet we're still here. But you need to know that the staff here gives too, uh, a tithe or better, every one of them. But they also give it another way. We don't have days off. Now, we can take a day off. You know, I can go golf or I can go see my mother. But generally speaking, when that part of the day is done, we're back and we're working. And the reason is they're there aren't other people to step up to take that work. So we're working and we're in one mind and I've not heard after a year and a half of us doing this, I've not heard one complaint from any one of my staff saying, you know, this is hard. I got to do lots of stuff. I got, no, we're one mind here. And, and many of you are one mind with this, which is just, I mean, my heart makes me so happy, but here's what it is. They're, they're going, no, no, we're in. We are all in. Our possessions are in. We share with everyone. And what was the result of this? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who sold own lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I want to tell you something. The reason a lot of people don't want to go to heaven or aren't excited about it is because they think it's going to be full of church people doing church services and judging. And if you've been around a lot of church people, you know that there are marvelous people, but you also know there's those others. Do you want to spend eternity like that? No. The reason people don't believe in heaven or aren't excited to get there is because they haven't seen it. The people who saw this saw heaven sharing everything. What do you need? Hurriedly pushing things to each other so that nobody has need. Nobody has need in that community. I've had people say, well, that was only practical for that little group. It wouldn't be practical for the whole world. Well, certainly, you know, one small group like our safe harbor, it's not going to be practical for that. But if we catch on, and we do a little outpost of heaven everywhere this is. Yeah. Now that could, that could change things. And people like this. They get on board. And every time you do, the devil sees it and wants to stop it. 
So we'll do this wee story and then we'll, we'll shut down our class for the day. All right. Joseph, a Levite, he's a good guy, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is a very condensed story here. We have to get from implication and read between the lines that Ananias and Sapphira, um, they sold this property and kept back part. But when they delivered money to the apostles, they acted like we are sacrificing it all. We are giving it all. And this is a real war warning. I don't think any of us are selling our homes and sending the money to our safe harbor or your local church. I, I don't think we're there. And I'm, that's not a criticism. I have a house too, right? We share our house. I bet you share yours. That's not the point. The point's this. We see this amazing thing happening in chapter four of no needy persons because they were all in. How, what percentage are you in with your faith? I'm not talking about precision obedience here. And I don't want to throw guilt on you. I just want to explain. If you put 10% in, that, that's good. But you're not getting 100% out. I am not here talking about money. Money is a part of it. But if I'm only 10% warm to Jesus, I'm not going to show a lot of heaven. I'm not going to radiate a lot of heaven. Sure, I won't be given that much either, but that's the whole point is the whole gestalt, the holistic whole of my life. If I'm only giving him Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and then just trying to be a nice person, that's good. It really is, but it's not going to be much of a return. If you want to eat corn, you got to plant corn. If you want heaven, you've got to start it and start showing it around you. And these people were all in and it was working great. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to keep their toes in the world and just give a portion to God and get back everything. They were cheating themselves. God didn't need the money. In fact, look what he says. Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept to yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? In other words, it's fine to own property and not sell it. It's fine. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? All right, Patrick, you, you sold that piece of property. And I'm making up numbers here, right? I, I don't, other than my house, I don't own property. Uh, and the bank owns most of that. You know how that works. But let's say I, I sold some acreage and I've got $100,000. All right, we're keeping it round here because none of us showed up today expecting to do math. And I, I think, you know, there's this guitar over here for 3,000. I really like to have that one. And there's this motorcycle over here for 20,000. I really like to have that. Now, uh, it's 23,000. 
um, I'm going to uh, waltz into the church and tell them that the 77,000 is what I got from the property and I've sacrificed this all for Jesus. No, no, you, no, no, no thanks necessary. I'm just humbly giving you everything I get. You see the point? I was allowed to buy the guitar and the motorcycle. I was allowed to keep the money or keep the field. What I'm not allowed to do is give a little bit to God and claim credit for giving me all. There's a song that we used to sing when I was a boy. And I don't know if it's in other religious traditions or not. So if it isn't, um, <clears throat> maybe look it up. I bet it's out there. None of self and all of thee. None of self and all of thee. And it's a song that starts off, you know, um, that we began living our lives all of self and none of thee. And then some of self and some of thee. And then less of self and more of thee. And by the time you get down to the last song, uh, last verse, it says all, none of self, all of thee. I gotta tell you something, every time I would sing that song, my voice would get quieter and quieter as we went through. Because I'm still, I do not believe I am at the all of the and none of self stage. I really want to be. I'm working hard at it. But I just, my voice was just, I'm kind of stuck on verse two, Jesus. I think we need to be honest about that. And Ananias were not. So, this just didn't. What a thing. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. Now, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Oh, that's, that gets people's attention. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Uh, it is, I don't know if I want to call it tradition or something stronger, law, rule, that in the Jewish society and in most Semitic societies that you bury the same day the person dies. There is a variance in that if they die in the late evening, but that's generally the rule. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Yeah, you had a chance. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let me, let me bring some closure to this if I could. This is very, very unusual and people that lie to God today do not drop dead in churches or around church vicinities. So why here? What's going on? There had to be a lot of special things occur at the first creation, building, establishment of the Christian religion. And it was very vulnerable. And so think of it as scaffolding and uh, all kinds of construction works that are around. That's a very unusual thing. You do not plan to have the scaffolding there for long. You do not plan to have the contractors traipsing through for long. You plan for this to be done and then become self-sustaining. But at this point, it was very, very dangerous that if people did not understand that God wants you all in, then this church was going to become a very weak thing and it would not survive the persecution that was about to hit them. 
If they were the kind of people that squirreled away things for themselves and did not share with brothers and sisters who were starving, then it's, this church is not going to survive. By the way, I do not mean to offend anybody there, but this is the reason why no matter what people say, and, and every so often I'll hear a commercial, more rarely I'll come across a very sincere, good-hearted person who's very concerned about the future. And they will say, don't you have food? We, you ought to have you know, two years worth of dried, freeze-dried food because whenever the you know, world goes down, you know, what's going to happen and uh, an EMP go off or the like. My response to all of that is, I cannot envision a scenario in which my family sit in a locked house and eat a meal while starving people are on our lawn crying as they watch their babies die from lack of food. I cannot see me sitting doing I'd open the doors. The food would be gone in the first 30 minutes. Some people say that's really foolish, but I, I kind of get that from here. Be all in. Share it. Give it. Trust God. And you might have some really bad hard days. But then, heaven. You demonstrated it on earth. And now you get to go. Hmm. It's pretty hard stuff. So let's wait and talk more about this next week. God bless you. Thank you for helping us do this work. Cheers.